All right. Well, it's a beautiful evening here in uh, the Dallas, Texas area. It's actually about 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and that's not something we've had <laughs> for many, many months. It was one of the hottest summers um, I can remember. We broke all kinds of records. <clears throat> this is a just a brief reflection on some pretty nerdy egghead stuff. And uh, just thinking things through and recording here. And it may be of interest for some and likely not for most. That's, that's fine. Uh, I'm putting together in my mind three things. This is an extraordinarily uh, introductory meditation I'm doing, a reflection on three extraordinarily deep sources. <laughs> um, this would be Whiteheadian process philosophy or process theology from Alfred North Whitehead. Uh, this is also Tehard, Tehard's thinking of the um, Omega Point, Tehardian um, worldview. And then I'm also, of course, mindful of the Law of One material. And I'm trying to put together in my mind um, just some ways to synthesize these three things because over the years I've often felt that Tehard, and I've read a lot about him and at least one of his own works, but he's been such incredibly, well, he was prolific and incredibly uh, influential and, and increasingly so now, actually more so than he was um, even after he died and his works were published. But one of the things that I'm thinking of is he had this notion of the Alpha and the Omega. He was one of the first in the West, at least, um, and certainly one of the first Christians to try to understand uh, Christian doctrine within the context of cosmic evolution. And he uh, really was inspired. He was a scientist, PhD scientist, and spent most of his life doing scientific works. Uh, discovered, I think, one of the proto-human um, skeletons in Mongolia, I think. And in his free time, he would stay in his tent on the desert there with a candle or two and just write. And I can just envision him doing that with a certain kind of glee, zeal, delight, um, and also sadness given that his writing was forbidden um, when he was alive. But now, as I said, he's being accepted in the same areas where he was forbidden. And I don't begrudge the Catholic Church for that or other people, because we're only ready for what we're ready for. And everything is in a process and development. So I can hold that space for um, larger institutions that have to account for millions, if not a billion or more people. But <clears throat> Tehard 
and I'm not a Tehardian scholar, but he did try to locate the cosmic Christ. And his notion was that there is this alpha aspect to God and omega aspect to God, and that things would come to a singularity or a conclusion at the, quote, end of times. So he had a sense of the a beginning and an end. Uh, he was, after all, writing before things like quantum mechanics became popular. So he, he was operating from um, the Christology that he had. And so the fact that he did as much as he did with it is incredible, I think. <clears throat> but he had the sense that there was only uh, as much energy as there was a, a limited amount of energy, radial energy, and this energy would eventually come together to form a, an omega point. And it might be trillions of years out, but he did have a sense of a closure and really the job of the human, now he didn't do any speculation of non-human or non-terrestrial intelligence. At least I, I don't think he published anything about that. But his idea was that the human being, as evolution would have it, is the creation come to some level of self-awareness and thus offers a unique service to God. And that is to witness and, if you will, anoint creation by witnessing it, um, by cherishing it, by being creation and along with all of creation, returning the gaze of the beloved back to the creator. Because there's something unique and the experience of God where creation is able to say in univocity with one voice, um, I am that, and you are me, and we are one. And I, I recognize you. I recognize you. There's something unique and special. And so Tehard would talk about this as being a Christification of the universe that uh, humans would have a destiny to evolve to the point where we would, over time, anoint, which is what Christ means in Greek, is the anointed one. So to anoint um, and raise to the sacramental level all things. Now, for those of us who study the Law of One material, that shouldn't be new because Ra would talk about uh, every moment contains the fullness, the plenum of love. The moment of the one that contains, every moment contains a catalyst or a, a, a quantized a, experiential um, quanta, a moment containing the full plenum of the one infinite creator. And we, as third density beings here on earth have the capacity to receive the catalyst the moment that is emerging 
right now from different levels of consciousness. You know, you can receive it from the red ray and the orange ray. And Ross said that if the person learns to receive things at the level of the violet ray, well, that's the level of sacramentality to see how each moment is a full embodiment, incarnated embodiment of the one infinite creator. And it's not that every moment is not glorious and sublime and uh, pure and whole. It's, it's not that it's not that. It is that um, without the need for the human, let's say, to honor that. However, I do believe, and could be wrong, but I do believe there is something new. There's a, a new complexification that is offering God the experience of God's self when that which is always and everywhere manifested, um, or I'm sorry, let's say it this way, that which is pure possibility, when it becomes incarnated, it becomes actualized. When this actualization, which is still not, let's say, experiencing itself as separate from the one infinite creator, in other words, rocks or animals don't experience the veil of forgetting. But the third density creation does, the human. And when the human can awaken to the level, and I'm assuming it would be, it would find its uh, beginnings in the heart chakra, the fourth ray, the green ray, that when creation can be received and honored there um, in, in this moment of love and understanding and, and the gesture of gratitude, that it can be then moved into the indigo over, over uh, more contemplation and more um, awareness, more awakening into the pure beauty, complexity, and plenum of each moment. And so that would mirror, I think, what uh, Tehard was suggesting in the Christification. Now, Whitehead, on the other hand, is somebody who I'm not as familiar with, but I've really done some deep diving into Whitehead in the past uh, few months. And I have just been so moved and touched by his capacity to really serve humankind, I think, in a unique way by giving us language to philosophical language to uh, to label or distinguish the different ways, different stages, different modes of God that go into God's own becoming. And so now there's a fairly large movement, although when I say large, put that into quotations because it's large in the sense of maybe a few hundred people in the world. But um, it is exciting to put these two thinkers together and see how they can distinguish 
each other and also affirm each other's thinking. <clears throat> and they both lived uh, roughly the same time. I mean, Whitehead died I think a couple of decades after, a few decades after. Well, when he was writing, he was writing a few decades after Tehard died, I believe. I might be wrong on that. In any case, uh, what would Whitehead, what, he had a very complicated, systematic, and uh, I don't even understand all the words, although I intuitively I think I get most of what he's trying to say because it's just there in the law of one material as well. Um, in very careful readings, you can, you can tease it out. Although I think Whitehead, somebody like Whitehead, gives uh, a real service because from a third density perspective, Whitehead can name um, <clears throat> and intuit a process and then give names to that, which should, and I think they do, mirror uh, the physical life. In fact, that was the point of why Whitehead wanted to do what he did is because he was a mathematician first and renowned one at that. And he was trying to uh, provide a corrective to the philosophy of the time, which he felt uh, philosophical discussion was, was behind the times, was not taking into consideration um, the, new math, the, the new math and also scientific exploration and discovery such as quantum mechanics and uh, so philosophy was actually moving in more abstract areas and uh, he was worried that it would basically not have much to say <laughs> to the human condition because it was so abstract and uh, i'm not sure if he was right or wrong on that i'm not a an expert a philosophical expert by any means, I'm as close to that as I am to the moon at this point, but I can appreciate um, geniuses. And what I would say to how I understand Whitehead is he had this, these three senses, uh, well, there's many things that he would say, but what I'm going to just mention here is he had these three ideas about how um, God or the creator, the one infinite creator or the source uh, becomes. This idea of being is becoming. And he talked about the two natures of God. You had a primordial nature, and he, he actually called these poles, P-O-L-E-S, poles, primordial pole, and a consequent pole. And uh, I found this to be intriguing because I really do see parallels from the law of one material in this because the primordial pole is seen, to my understanding, seen more as a, an instinct uh, that there was a source. There, God is an ins, a source, an origin, say. And this origin had this instinct to create. And Ra calls it the creative principle. 
it's what drives everything. But the reason why there is a creative principle is what Ra called the original thought. And the original thought is this desire to experience the self. So the creator has this, pre- it's, a, it's really, I just envision it as just a heartbeat or um, some might say a bass note <laughs> that's just played. And Ra talks about how there's a level of creation that still stays within what they call the undistorted unity before there's any distortion, that there's some kind of undergirding rhythm. Um, they call it a strength, but I sort of see it as just a note that never ends, a force that never stops. It's just constant. And it's this primordial nature to create, to experience the self as just a raw, and I mean the (laughs) R-A-W, instinct. Now, uh, this is important because it drives every fractal or holon um, or instance or event, or as Whitehead would say, occasion of becoming, whether that is the universe or a galaxy or a logos or an atom, a subatomic particle or a photon. Everything has this heartbeat, this desire, this note to not only create, but, but create some instance of novelty because that is what the creative principle it is. It's, it's to get what you were handed down, take that template and nuance it and refine it according to one's degree of free will. And that free will, in the case of, say, a subatomic particle, may not be much. But we know even now that after the Big Bang, or the Big Bang of this particular universe, things didn't change much for six million years or so. And then some particles started to change uh, slightly. And there was sort of no accounting for that change. Um, It was almost as if there was an intelligence and and sort of unison. They said, let's tweak it slightly and see what happens. (laughs) There it is, I believe, this idea of novelty that's embedded, creative novelty to experience the self in a slightly different way with one voice, this one voice of, or you could even say one note, bass note of the one infinite creator. And so Whitehead called this the primordial pole. And then there's the consequent pole. And uh, this would be the pole that desires to ingress, was the word that Whitehead said, ingress into the moment. And so basically the metaphysics here is that every moment is being created and then perished and then gives itself into the creation of another moment and passes on the genes, the, the, the metaphysical energetic genes 
And this happens at the speed of light, but it's, it's quantized. And you'll see references to this kind of quanta manifestation in the Law of One, too. And each moment is born. It receives the energetic, genetic um, template from the past. It has its own sentience to want to uh, refine what was given. And it might be just a slightest bit of a refinement, but it, 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 it achieves a sense of satisfaction, Whitehead says. Subjective aim, uh, that it has a subjective aim in its life, even though it's a, a quantized unit in the light, in light, uh, maybe a single photon. But it has a sense of a subjective aim, what it wants to do, and then it achieves satisfaction when it perishes. Um, but it perishes not because its life doesn't have value. It perishes because it, it actually uh, offers itself as a sacrifice, if you will to the next moment it dies so that it on all of its experience that was given that was given to it can resurrect to rise in the embodiment of the next moment so for those of for those three of you who are listening who are maybe have a catholic um, background you might recognize the idea of the paschal mystery here the life, death, and resurrection of Christ as an archetype of what happens um, even in the smallest segment, quantized moment. And it happens in every level of the manifested universe. In any case, Whitehead would then say that the consequent nature of God, this consequent pole, is a pole that wants to ingress into the moment. Um, and what is wanting to ingress? Well, these things would be what, what uh, Whitehead calls eternal objects. So uh, what are eternal objects? Well, again, my limited knowledge, but eternal objects would be um, from the very lay way to say this, lay person's way to say this, uh, borrowing from the law of one would be uh, things that the one infinite creator learned about itself or you know whatever low whatever level of beingness is being manifested but it's this uh, <clears throat> eternal objects that are fixed in some kind of transcendent reality almost like archetypes that um, from a law of one perspective we would say exist in time space in the astral or in the ethereal somehow and uh, law of one would say that there's a constant and ever-present desire that anything that is in time space wants to experience space time in other words a thing in time space is um, not fully manifested or, or has found its 
full consummation, if you will, unless in some way it expresses itself in a finite embodied way in space-time. And uh, Ra gives several different examples of this, but that's exactly, I think, what uh, Whitehead is saying, is that these eternal objects exist as archetypes that would have been, from my perspective, um, almost metaphysical templates or forms that were developed and discovered through the long arc of experience that were deemed to be uh, fundamental for consciousness as it had been discovered for whatever level of consciousness that had been discovered, deemed important and foundational to keep. So for example, Ra talks about how the one infinite creator discovered that the seven densities or seven um, expressions of consciousness that increase in complexity. There's sort of a holoarchy of complexity that would begin in some kind of epicenter and flow outwards and every rung, every ring around that epicenter would um, signify some qualitatively different higher order of consciousness or awareness of a particular event. So, for example, if, uh, just, just to kind of flesh this out, if there's a catalyst given, uh, something happens in the moment to somebody, then the first ray, the first node or energetic node, or you could say sight of consciousness that gets a chance to experience it would be the red ray, a foundational ray. And am I going to survive this? <laughs> you know? And then the second one is the orange ray is how do I understand what is happening in terms of my self-identity. Um, and then it moves into the yellow ray and just kind of goes, from our perspective, maybe it goes, quote, up. <laughs> but really, it's, uh, it's not. It's radial. It goes out into greater complexity. And, and so the seven densities were discovered, were created through experiments of the one infinite creator experiencing knowing itself discovered that there were these seven levels of consciousness that would uh, create a kind of wholeness a completion that maybe things move from uniformity wholeness as uniformity or you might think of white light <clears throat> at the beginning to pass through the different set the different octave, the density octave, uh, and to culminate in not uniformity, but unity, a kind of uh, chosen unity, which is not white light, rather, but diversity of all experiences come together in a singularity. So diversity maintained and protected by love that finally come together in some great moment of union and unity, never releasing its particular 
sense of selfness, even as it understands its selfness in context of being a part of a greater self. And so <clears throat> these seven densities were deemed to be uh, sufficient enough and crystallizing enough so as to become eternal objects so that the creator doesn't have to reinvent the wheel here. But these eternal objects want to experience space-time. They want to experience the uh, full consummation of themselves, which is to have consciousness work and evolve in and through them. And so the first density is the density of rocks. Um, that rocks are first density experiencing itself. And then elements move to some form of second density life, which is a qualitatively uh, more expressive and complex expression of creation that strives towards um, the sun, really, the one infinite creator, that, that there's movement, that these individual elements, these elements then actually move to individuate themselves to the point of becoming, you know, prokaryotic cells, eukaryotic cells, so on and so forth, all the way up to a complex late second density animal, such as an ape or dolphin or tree. Uh, and then you have the human third density being emerging, which is creation come to the level of having self-awareness um, with the veil of forgetting in place. And so here creation must learn to, um, that it has the capacity, the very God like power of free will and to then develop a thing called faith. So will and faith, faith, uh, I, I define as will rather is, uh, coming up with a desire and making an intention. And then faith would be to have faith and trust and hope that my actions are oriented uh, towards that which I intend. Even if I can't feel and measure and understand that everything I'm doing, if everything I'm doing is or is not moving towards that, um, intention. I have the faith that it is, that things are moving in that way. Well, just to return quickly here to wrap this up with Whiteheart, Whitehead, this idea that Whitehead and the consequent nature of God is that these eternal objects, such as the different densities, such as uh, Ra's description of the 22 archetypal uh, elements of consciousness that they talk about, which is the most articulated system of conscious awareness um, in, in the universe, according to Ra. Uh, and that we are one of the planets that is ex it, it, under this or experiences itself. Humanity experiences our reality through the gestalt or the working together of these 22 archetypes. 
So these, again, would also be eternal objects. And Ra talks about this, too, that the archetypal system, they were very clear to say, is not the system or is not uh, those things that uh, equal experience, but rather it is the being, the third density being, um, that actually incarnates the archetypes and uses the archetypes because there's no, uh, no other way to understand consciousness at our sector. So uses the con- uh, archetypes, the 22 archetypes, to understand ourselves um, and further evolve into complexity, into the fourth density, um, through our choices. So I would say, just to wrap this up, uh, that these eternal objects ingress, that's Whitehead's word, ingress into the present moment. And so that the moment inherits um, the previous ingress, uh, the previous uh, moment as its death, as it, it gives itself into the next moment. Every moment also is driven by the primordial pull of the one infinite creator, this desire to express and create itself and in some level of novelty or refinement. And then every moment is given um, the, the, given the, desire, I guess you could say, of eternal objects wanting to incarnate. And so that's, that's their opportunity is to incarnate into space-time in a given moment and then be a part of that moment's experience of itself. And it's called the pole, concrescent pole, concressing pole, because the moment comes to some kind of concreteness. Every moment comes to a moment of uh, moving from possibility to potentiality to actualization to life and then grows old. Uh, it, it satisfies its subjective aim. You know, it got what it came for and then perishes in joy and delight, uh, giving itself into the next moment, which then repeats the process. So every moment is a moment of becoming. Every moment is a moment of arising and then complexifying. Arising together and then coming back together. Almost like a sine wave, if you can imagine a sine wave that goes up and back down and up and back down. And there's always this rhythm of up and back down, moving forward. And where I would invite, uh, or what I've been thinking about, just to go back to Tehard, is that Tehard says that there is a, an alpha and omega, and they, did, you know, he did not really leave room for eternal becoming. Whereas Whitehead said, well, there's really no omega. It's just a constant a constant becoming that never ends, a constant sense of uh, 
the source experiencing itself in ever more complex manners that build off of the former wholeness complexity. You know, it's wholeness begetting wholeness, begetting wholeness in the spirit of ever greater nuance of subsequent wholenesses, if you will. So uh, what I would say from a law of one perspective is that putting together Tehard and Whitehead, I could say maybe that there is an alpha and omega. Uh, In fact, every moment is an alpha and omega. That's the uh, primordial pole and the compressing pole um, is an alpha and omega. And then writ, writ small, say, and then uh, writ large would be the third density experience has the same kind of birth, uh, life, <laughs> and then eventual harvest or compressing into the fourth density. Uh, you, you know, third density beings then move into the fourth density, and that would be their omega point. That there is an omega point, but it's an omega point for this expression of the third density. And then there would be another alpha giving being born within the fourth density vibrational conditions of experience. Um, and now this having been repeated infinite, probably amount of times throughout the one infinite creation, you know, the creator has learned a lot about itself. I would agree with the sense of Whitehead that there is no end to becoming. There is no grand omega point. Even Ra says that from their knowledge, their vantage point, which is 2 billion years with a B, uh, more advanced than humans, that they understand from their teachers uh, that periodically all of creation comes to a conclusion, a singularity, and then begins again in a timeless state. Uh, And that wouldn't be where it's beginning again in just total white light. It would begin again in the sense of having all of the template um, and experience of the previous creation then gets gifted into the next moment. So whatever happens at the, the span of a quantized light unit, I don't even think that's a word, but I guess what I'm thinking of here um, is the same as what happens in the span of, Trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of years where all of creation then comes back. It's just one heartbeat beating outward, 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 then inward, 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 coalescing, complexifying into a new, a new complexity, new singularity, and then uh, distilling its lessons coming to a new gestalt, a new wholeness that's greater than the sum of the parts, and then perishing and dying uh, uh, and using its very energy and life and love and delight to rise again 
the phoenix arising again in the next moment. So um, thank you for listening. Um, it was a pleasure to try to put those things together. And for those three people that are listening, um, my hat goes off to you. God bless.